Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is where the curiosities of spiritualism meet the belief systems of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This podcast is only for those with an open mind. Join Ken Adams on his quest to find higher planes of spiritual experience. Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast today. I am with a friend of mine uh, that I've been friends with, I think, for a couple of years now. His name is Tennyson Taggart, and Tennyson is a founder of a health bar, which is called Mogu Bar, Mogu Health Bar, and it is made out of the highest quality health mushrooms that can improve your health and help you have a great immune system. In fact, during 2019, or actually it was the early months of 2020, I contacted Tennyson and I said, I need some Mogu bars because I had gotten the flu. I don't know if it was coronavirus or not, because it was before coronavirus was available, I guess. And <laughs> and I said, hey, I could use some of these bars. And he gave me some of the bars and I ate those while I was sick. So I've used them. I've experienced them. Um, I've, you know, we've been friends for a while. Tennyson also is uh, so very spiritual and in is always interested in understanding the nature of man and our true identities. So Tennyson, would you introduce yourself more and talk about some of the things you're doing in your projects? Sure. So um, to, I guess, expand a little bit on the Mogu bars, the name of the company is Magic Mogu. Uh, I started it with the intent to make it as easy as possible to get medicinal quality nutrition into a person's lifestyle, regardless of where they're at. Um, and functional mushrooms have been the most impactful food I've ever experienced to that intent. Um, and so I actually just yesterday, we did a production run for our first new flavor. So we've got the chocolate mint chai and now the lemon coconut lavender. So I'll, uh, I'll have to get you some to try. I'm very um, interested in that flavor, by the way. It's <laughs> it sounds delicious. Yeah, I have I have only one rule for the flavors I come up with, and that it's the name has to be an alliteration. Uh, <laughs> Wait, say it again. Say it. So there's chocolate mint chai and lemon coconut lavender, which it's a sandwich alliteration, you know. So um <laughs> that's wonderful because you're in poetry. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I was going to kind of lead in from there. I've I've, I, I think I've considered myself something of an essayist for a long time, and I had no real um, structure or outlet to the things I liked to think about and write, which meant I would kind of just vomit it onto my Facebook page to the, uh, I imagine, chagrin of most everybody that would then unfollow me because nobody wants a wall of text in my experience. And um over time, I, well, actually this, I read the Tao Te Ching and it was so inspiring how they were able to compress things far beyond what anything I had thought of into a four line stanza. And I realized that poetry is like the, uh, the best way to compress meaning into language. And it seems to carry something more with it. And so I've uh, had a, a big poetry project kind of explode out of me since then uh, over the last about year and a half, I think. Um, 
so I've got four different poetry collections that I've been working on simultaneously. The uh, first one and a half are essentially finished. And uh, let's see. So I like food and I like words. And I've been an avid explorer of the experience of the thing that I call myself through meditation, uh, plant medicines, um, <laughs> occasionally uh, simply, I guess, an openness to mystical experience that has um, led to spontaneous experiences that one would not be able to fit into the normal continuity of a story of life. And then with that, there's been a, a great intellectual push forward into uh, a variety of different mystical or transcendent philosophies and traditions. And then ultimately all kind of bringing that back towards myself and seeing what I can come up with in sort of this DIY project that I see life to be in defining what life is for myself without trying to capture life in a definition, I suppose. So that's amazing. Like I, <laughs> I'm just listening how you talk. It's so author like, like it's so like, <laughs> I, I just, I've read some of your posts, right? I, I look at your posts on Facebook and I'm like, dang, this guy's really like a deep spiritual thinker and he should definitely have some books. It's like, usually how I think about it, you know? So it's good to hear you have these projects and poetry and these books are coming out because um, I think that the majority of people out there really don't have much of a, a clue of who they are, right? And and mm -hmm. what the self is and how to define that. And you're doing that in your poetry. And um, I wanted to ask you about your upbringing, religious in in religion and spirituality and i want you to describe it in the context of how you understood the self throughout okay. your upbringing yeah i know this will be a very curious <laughs> yeah, thought right. process for you because <laughs> i think you'll dive right in but i want mm -hmm. you to talk about your religious and spiritual up upbringing and how your self-concept has changed over time mm-hmm so um, one of the things that I most appreciate growing up, being born into the LDS church, um, is that there was always this concept of a miraculous divinity that was at my center. And within that, a, a quality of being infinite and being at home within this infinite divinity. Um, as I had my experience growing up in the religious tradition, um, there was, I think, a difficulty for myself in what, looking back, I would call it a sense of contradiction of this sort of organic, natural urge to be a certain way and a a misunderstanding perhaps of how that could cohere with what I was being told I needed to conform to and the reasons why that was the truth. And um, I'll, I'll try to move through this all quickly and it probably is implied in how I'm speaking about this. I since decided to part ways with the LDS tradition and explore things myself. Oh, I guess my intro made that clear, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I did go on a mission. I went to Peru 
um, which was absolutely incredible because in those two years, it was this ultra intense experience of attempting to embody the identity of Christ um, and look out upon, you know, everybody with this um, desire to channel through me this understanding of compassion and love and the other qualities that um, Jesus is um, known for, and then truly serve and act in a way that was essentially selfless, as much as I could figure out how to be <laughs> at 20 years old and under the context I operated at the time. During those formative years in the religion, um, I was I enjoyed frequent and deep philosophical conversation with my father, much of which centered around the relationship between metaphysics and physics. And when I say metaphysics, I suppose I could say spirituality, the nature of self, and then physics being really more than anything, infinity and uh, time and these really far out concepts that are so far out, they begin to seem to blend with um, spiritual concepts. And that has stayed with me ever since. I mean, I've always thought to myself that black holes are the ultimate spiritual <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> and if somebody really wants to go deep into themselves, that's a great <laughs> tool, conceptual tool to relate to. Uh, so returning from my mission, I was faced with a reality of something that I had come into, you could say, a recognition of at a really early age. Actually, thanks to a fast and testimony meeting where I was hearing everybody affirm what they know to be true. And I had the impression, well, actually the, uh, the realization that I didn't know how anybody could know anything as an, with absolute certainty. There's always uncertainty inherent in any situation, in any conclusion. And I was so struck with that. And for a long time, I thought that was a, a, a great flaw that I needed to overcome. And then after my mission, I had, I suppose, reached a point where I realized it was a, a portal, in a way, into freedom. And essentially, the freedom was to be honest with myself and with my sense of uh, God with what I really thought, <laughs> because I realized I couldn't know as I am now. And so I couldn't feel guilty for having an opinion. And I and that what felt integrous to me at that time, so I was about 23, was to do my best based on my best understanding, at which point I realized or decided what would be also true is that I would be ceaselessly forgiven for moving forward with that kind of integrity with my greatest understanding of how best to live and engage with life. And so um, that was a transformative moment where I actually kind of mentally sat down with God and said, I think I'm going to do things different. Um, I, I don't agree with what I've been told. And so, you know, I'm letting you know to see how I feel. And it felt good. And so um, from that point forward, there was a, you know, this uh, movement towards exploring the things that I'd always been drawn to but felt were forbidden. And um, for maybe 
five years that was psychedelics um originally motivated by that i had become incredibly depressed <laughs> there were some very difficult things that happened in my life and my family life and i uh reached a, a deep rock bottom and since it coincided with my separation from the community and worldview that i'd grown up with uh, my typical safety nets were not there and so from this deep place i um let's see eventually came to the point where I decided I needed to try uh, LSD uh, really just to escape my suffering was the thought in my head but I'd spent years researching it and reading about people's experiences and how it changed their perspective of reality and their connection to it and so that um, psychedelic journey was I think a um, a peak point, turning point in my life, because I was able to see and feel and know viscerally, undeniably, on every level of my capacity to observe life, that I was seamlessly and literally connected to all of it. I could visually see lines of geometry connecting everything, and I could feel it and I could I could see my mind spiral in towards anything I fixated on and continually excavate information and insight and I would I looked at nature and I was overwhelmed with how beautiful the grass was and um and you know on and on and on and I had this as I came down from the experience it, it just came into my mind that I am not these things I had, I had been identifying with for a long time up until that point, which was depressed and traumatized. And then the next thought, and it wasn't me that decided to think it or believe it. It just came to me as a realization. I can be anything I want to be because there is an inherent freedom that allows me to do so. And um, so from that point forward, it was kind of this experience over the next few years of being whatever I wanted to be. And, and part of that was, you know, my life being what that reflection of this new identity I would take on. And it was almost like I had this closet of outfits of different fantasies of what I thought would really, you know, get me there and do it for me. And I went through almost every single one of those things, created enough of a semblance of those ideal fantasies to become disillusioned with it. And recognize that it wasn't there wasn't a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow and over and over and over and over again um and uh through that all i you know the disillusionment i think is a better way of defining the realization of truth um i actually i have on my whiteboard over here i broke down the roots of the word disillusionment and it means to do the opposite of or pull in twain um, that's dis and then illusion comes from elude which is to trick or make sport of or mock and then meant which could be mind or a state resulting from a specific action so it's essentially if you as i have come to see it stop tricking yourself and making a mockery of yourself then the truth is just present as it always has been because it's the one thing that exists without condition or regardless of condition so, okay, I'll try to wrap this up. Um, 
so in this journey, meditation came into, into play and I got really serious with meditation and through that began to occasionally have these transcendental moments um, where I would completely unbecome anything that I've ever been and experience reality as a unified totality of pure, um, totally frictionless, smooth, nothing, everything, or um, these great mandala fractals that you've seen in, or perhaps seen here and there, um, or just moments of deep recognition of untruth that I had previously assumed to be truth. And my theory is that when we assume something to be true, we shut our conscious mind off from receiving new information about it. It gets relegated to the subconscious mind where it then acts as a fixed thing. And that is the bedrock of our identity or our, uh, like you could say, transient layer of identity that has the opportunity to be shed and integrated and, and adjusted based on how we want to experience life. And so with the experience of that transience and these different other experiences and kind of this inquiry into what is the truth of myself that is ever present, um, it, you know, all kind of comes to this place of there's this ineffable, indefinable um, me that is, of course, the common denominator of all experience, all imagination, all hypothetical, etc. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the question now. So I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> you, you nailed it on that. I think you did a great job. Is Would you say that your concept of self is still developing? I think yes and no. Um, I would say that there's a, um, hmm, man, this is a good question. So on the side of no, I feel certain that self cannot be conceptualized on a fundamental level. And that's sort of the uh, absolute nature of that. And then there's our experience, which is dependent on um, an experience, at least of a dualistic nature that we cut up with our mind and our definitions of things. And that is kind of, I guess, um, where it will forever change. And it also can't help but forever change because my experience is um, forever impermanent. And there's always adjustments and adaptations happening. And I have very little and maybe no control at all over that change. Um, I may dance with it and have the experience of control. And at this point, I don't know uh, which is which. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, a couple of things you mentioned throughout the whole journey of learning, right, is uh, when you're sitting there in that sacrament meeting, you're like, how can anybody be certain about anything, right? And, mm -hmm. and the other thing was that the thing that gave you an entry to freedom was honesty, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's kind of fun to like, see how you're going through this. And I asked that question to highlight where your mind is now, right? It's like, <laughs> are you certain, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and you showed that duality of yes and no, which means no, I'm not certain. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was very interesting answer. And um, I want to go, so I'm going to make a couple comments. Mm -hmm. uh, being... This this is 
a conversation I had with my wife just the other night, and we were talking about her and me and how we view the diff the world very differently. She she grew up um, in school where if a teacher said you need to do that or do that, she would go home and think, why do I need to do that? And then do it her way, right? Like whatever mm -hmm. she felt was a win for her, that's how she would act. For me, I was like, well, they told me to do it, so I have to do it. So those are like different mentalities. And she didn't understand at all how it was possible for me to think like that. So that's if that shows you the difference, right? Yeah. And wow. and I'm going back and looking at, you know, school and religion and all of this stuff and how at some point I had decided that I uh, didn't have a self, but might not be in the way that you describe. It's like a, a facade of a self, like a facade absence of self might be the best <laughs> way to say, if that makes sense. That's yeah, like the yeah. most... That might go in one of your poems here. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah. So, and and it it's this idea of, you know, you talk about the matrix, right? The movie. It's like people are plugged into the system and there's no actual free thought. There's no freedom of thought. It's just all decisions are pre-programmed and the conditions by which the system runs is what governs individual choice. And uh, there's a famous book by Dostoevsky. I don't know if you've read much of Dostoevsky, really famous a, Russian philosopher. A little and, familiarity, yeah, with it. And um, I'm trying to remember, I think it's uh, Brothers Karmazov is the English translation. And uh, he talks about how the one thing that shows that humans actually have agency is when they do irrational things. Because so many people are plugged into this system right? Where it's like, this is how you're supposed to live. There's government, which if, if we're dividing up words, right? Govern means control. Ment is mind, government, mind control, right? So yeah. like it's, it's literally governments in place and schools and religion and society. And it creates the system that tells you what to believe, what to think, what to do, how to live, right? And mm -hmm. that's very much how my mind was for a long time. And up, up until just a few years ago, probably. And at that point, you know, I started looking at religion too and saying like, why do I have to live this way? Why do I have to do these things this way? Right. You start asking all of these why yeah. questions, you know, and I realized that I don't have to, right. <laughs> I just do it if I want to. And there haven't been any consequences with me making that choice that are negative like I thought maybe would be before, mm -hmm. which highlights the scripture, right? Which is going back to honesty, right? The truth shall set you free, which is Jesus Christ talking about truth and you're talking about honesty, right? And that's mm -hmm. how you found freedom within yourself. Being true. Being true, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, which probably is a better translation, most likely. And I... um. I look at that whole process and though, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, I look at people kind of living with two facades. There's the one they put on for everybody when they ask, how are you doing? I'm fine. Right. There's that facade and it's like, clearly you're not fine. Right. Like you got something else going on. And, yeah. the, and behind that facade are these insecurities and fears and doubts and feelings of not being good enough. And that's also a facade, 
and behind that facade is what their true nature is, right? Which a lot of times people don't dig deep enough in the self to discover their absence of self, you might say, mm-hmm. right? Because once you get to that point, that the more you pull back those layers uh, that are created by the mind, these differences that the mind spots, the less you identify with anything and the more you become subsumed into that whole connection to everything, right? And and that is a very liberating moment. Um, going into what you were saying about psychedelics, LSD, um, I, I had some questions about that. I was speaking to someone who, uh, in his words, he accidentally did LSD. Um, I, and I think the story was someone made brownies and took him to a party and they had LSD, like some huge amount yeah. of LSD. Wow. And, and he took LSD and he ended up that night in a psychiatric ward because mm-hmm. of his behavior and he was unaware of what he was doing. And he had all these wild visions. And one thing he mentioned was uh, geomo- ge- geometric patterns, like what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, was it tetrahedrons? And mm-hmm. do you know what a tetrahedron is? I Oh, yeah. I saw one on LSD once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was like, everything was tetrahedrons. And I said, well, one of the theories about the nature of reality is that it's observational, like the lowest level of geometry are tetrahedrons. That's like the building blocks of what we're able to observe. And he was like, whoa, that's really cool. I didn't know that. But he was (laughs) surrounded by this like tetrahedron web of everything, kind of like what you described. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to ask, is our psychedelics still part of your spiritual practice of finding self? Have you moved into meditation? Are you doing both? What, what is it right now? Yeah, I, um, so I think in the last six months, I've kind of phased out of psychedelics, actually year, um, in that kind of pursuit. And they've become to me more of a teaching tool, mostly for music and poetry and creative expression. Um, I, I don't anticipate continuing as I have in the past, at least with them, and maybe not at all, in the sense that I feel content with my exploration. And I mean, I was I was doing a lot yeah. <laughs> of psychedelics, which is um, on one hand, amazing in how far it can take you in certain directions. But on the other hand, it, it can be difficult to stabilize and remain sustainably stabilized if you're taking something so often that kind of there's a metaphor of that your mind is this hill with snow on it and your thoughts are sleds going down creating grooves and then taking a psychedelic is a fresh five feet of snow that lets everything be reset to be then repatterned in ways and so it's useful when you're looking to repattern yourself and to recognize the transients of things that perhaps you thought were permanent previously which can be uh, extremely useful but then when you reach a place where you kind of feel uh, connected to yourself, you could say, it seems to be less necessary to seek out that flow or that transience. And you discover that it is ever present. And so to more fully answer your question, um, meditation, 
is more of a habit at this point. And my, um, I guess, practice, you could say, is just being present with life. And there's such a rich amount of insight and learning and everything available in every moment of life that it would seem almost um, of a lesser thing to do, to seek something beyond this to find that. That's that's really excellent what you shared. Um and and one thing that I had I had my sister's boyfriend, she was asking me, he was asking me some questions. And he said, Wow, you're interested in a lot of like trippy things. And he's like, Have you ever been into psychedelics or anything like that? And I was like, Nope, I haven't. And he's like, mm-hmm. Why not? He's like, it seems like you would be totally interested in that. I was like, it, it's not a moral thing. It's a philosophical thing for me. I mm-hmm. I look at who I am as an individual and my mind and my body. And I say, why would I need that to give me that experience? Mm-hmm. Like, why would I need it? You know, because I, for me, I'm always asking this question, what's the purpose of me needing this? Right. Mm-hmm. And I totally... I, First thing I should say, I totally understand people exploring psychedelics and, and looking for that as an avenue. For me, I think, isn't it, is it the psychedelic that does the trip or is it me that does the trip? Mm-hmm. Right. And if I'm looking for that, why can't I find it within myself is a lot of the questions that I have. So philosophically, I say, if, if I'm going to go on some kind of trip, be it psychedelic or in my mind or whatever, that could I create it myself? Is this is this something that you've been able to do without psychedelics? Are you able to create these kind of experiences without it? Occasionally, yes. Um, to a well, in some ways lesser, in some ways greater extent. Um, oh, I was going to say too. It's funny. I love how you said that because I have been the exact opposite philosophically where I would say to myself, why am I not doing this? <laughs> why am I not choosing to explore this new thing? Um, but, you know, I hear so much from people who have gone further than I have in things like meditation or breath work or yoga. And they talk about that it can imbibe a psychedelic experience far stronger and longer lasting than the drugs themselves. Um, I've had brief moments that are comparable to that, but um, I haven't been consistent or concentrated enough, I'll say, to uh, really say that it's been able to replace what I've been able to do. And I've also done extremely high doses of a variety of different psychedelics and plant medicines. And so it would maybe take a huge effort for me to uh, reach a point of comparability. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And one thing that I thought was probably one of the more wise things I hear from people in the spiritual community is that you said you went through this and the reason why you're not doing it as much is because you find value in being present. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I've noticed is that in spirituality, um, oftentimes people make spirituality reality. Mm. And which is... (laughs) counterproductive right it's it's um in fact i call it spiritual escapism is what i call it it's almost like i haven't been able to cope with my current reality so i'm going to find a spiritual avenue uh and it doesn't matter what it is you know of spiritual avenue where i can feel 
free, right? Like I'm experiencing more than what life has to offer, but then coming back and being like, okay, my life is still about the same as when I left <laughs> spiritually, right? Yeah. So it becomes like yeah. a habit loop of like escape and retrieval, right? It's like all the way escape and coming back and, and then escaping again and coming back. And so I like how you said like the journey you've gone through where you're like, maybe being present is the most important thing, right? That is the, mm -hmm. the best version of what I'm achieving. How did you get to that point where in your mind, you're like, that's, that's what I want. <laughs> well, actually, I think I had to let go of my mind because being present is on one hand, it's inescapable, right? You're always here, no matter where you go here, you are in the present. Um, and on the other hand, it is only a decision. And there's no logic that needs to or can happen to bring you to that decision, you just do it. But if you are trying to use your mind, your thought process of, of logic and justification and prediction and, and so on and so forth, you have to have a reason why, which means there's also a reason why not. And so at that point, you're engaged in a process of producing a result that your mind is conceptualizing, which is a complete separation from the present moment. And so you're trying to use the lack of presence in that case to figure out how to be present. And this was kind of the thing with like the psychedelics and even meditation and even self-help and self-improvement is I was trying to solve my mind as if it had control over my decision to simply be present. And I also realized on another level, the reason why I've done all of those things was to get to the point where I could feel comfortable with being present. Um, and right now, I think where I'm at with what has been most important to me in my uh, more active practice, which is a really moment to moment thing is just regulating my body or responding to my body's needs where it will come up with for whatever reason, I don't know that I ever can know why a sense of anxiety or desire or fear or whatever that will then employ the activity of the mind to solve that problem. And now my new habituation is to um, directly attend to the needs of my nervous system and my mind at the same time, because I think they're inseparable through presence, essentially. And um, I would say love and really learning what it means to cultivate a relationship with love, uh, which has been a big emphasis of mine recently. Mm, interesting. Um, when When you talk about love, cultivating a relationship with love, uh, would you, if if you were going to look at the things you identify with, which might not be anything, would would love be something that would be incorporated in that as something you identify with? Or is it a tool? Or how would you describe that in the concept of identity? I think love, so I'll reference the conversation we'd had before we started the podcast of this idea of there's one and there's zero. And um, <laughs> I don't know how to quite contextualize that so it makes full sense here, but let's just assume one and zero, well, they're the yin yang of reality. That's what they're representing as I say this. Zero is what I am. I'm infinitely flexible to 
fit into any identity or expression um, or experience. And then on the other side of that is one, which is love. The one thing that I am as this ever shifting thing, always in relationship with, or always seeking or um, always expressing on a, on a fundamental level. And um, that might be up for debate, <laughs> but well, and I guess I'll briefly explain why I think that's the case. I think everything is an expression of love as distorted by our conditioning, whether that's I'm seeking to love by um, attacking somebody out of defense for myself or those I love, things like that. I think it can be found in any expression. Um, so I see it as that I seek to be a conduit for love in connection with love and to refine my skillfulness in how I perceive where love is before me and in those in front of me so that I can understand where they're at in their relationship to love so that I can meet them there and so that I can feel it and express it naturally towards myself when my thoughts or my body experience a, a contraction into fear or doubt or worry or these other things, I can make that whole in a sense by providing a sense of certainty and comfort and, um, and compassion towards myself. And it allows me to experience the full spectrum of experience and my emotions and my flaws and um, also my gifts without contracting into an identity around them that then requires the employment of, um, you could say, more reptilian brain survival instincts to essentially consume until it feels a sense of wholeness, which is I found not to be very sustainable. Yeah, no, it's not very sustainable. I don't think for anyone. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that's those are great insights. And, um, I, before this podcast, we, I'll, I'll give some context to the zeros and ones. I think it'd be really fun to dive into this conversation <laughs> right now. It's a good point. So, um, both Tennyson and I are very interested in the concept of like an absence of self. And uh, I told him the thing that I think about a lot is the number zero, because if you divide zero by one, you get zero. But if you dis divide one by zero, you get infinity. And if you add zero next to a one in, in the numbers, you get 10, right? If you add two zeros after the one, you get 100. And if you do something exponentially by zero, you get zero, right? So it drops the one thing that's supposed to make it more exponential, right? You add a number you know, like, except for one would just make it stay the same, right? And then zero would drop, make it drop to zero. And it's all this mystery around like, what is zero, which actually isn't a number. It's, it, it's a non-existent thing. And uh, a lot of times what I ask people when I work with them professionally, right? One thing I'll ask them is, can you sit still by yourself? And even though there's places that you could be things you could be doing and all that. Can you sit still and just be happy with yourself in that moment as if that is the best place you could possibly be, right? And and you're talking about presence in this situation, mm -hmm. right? And um, I like to think about, so 
there's a concept called flow, which is basically flow state is when you're in this state of mind where you get so focused on something that you might lose track of time. You might lose, you know, you, you might not eat, you might skip a few meals um, because you're so in the moment and present, like at a, at a level that you couldn't possibly be. And I almost feel like meditation is like the flow of being present. You know what I mean? It's like creating that flow of the moment, you know? And what is a good question for people to ask is when you're in flow, when you're in that state where you lost track of time, right? Because you were doing something, you may have forgotten to eat. What are you doing? Because we all crave flow and we all go for it. And this is the state of mind and the state of energy that is takes zero effort, right? It's, it's the state of being that is effort zero, right? There's no energy that's expended. And it's something that you could do for a long time, a long, long time. Now, for me, a lot of it was Netflix. You know what I mean? It was like sitting and binge watching <laughs> Netflix, you know, it was like, yeah. Until I ran out of movies, you know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> that, that was how I was experiencing flow, right? And, and it's not always things that you look back and you're like, oh, I want to replay my life story. Oh, great. I watched myself watching other people's stories. You know what I mean? It was, it was something I was like, okay, deep down inside, I know I'm, I can do more than who I am, which now is a difference being measured by the mind, right? And then I got to this place in my mind. It was after I quit my job uh, to become a full-time entrepreneur. I had a thought that was just probably crazy to my wife. Um, I'm surprised she didn't react differently than she did. She was very calm. But I said, I've been doing, 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 and doing stuff for a lot of years. I wonder what would happen if I just stopped doing, if I just did nothing right? And just sat there. I wonder if my results would be any different. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did it uh, for a few months. And literally, I just lived in flow the entire time. If I wanted to do something, I did it. And it wasn't always great what I did necessarily in, in the way I like to judge my life, right? But I did, and I just, it gave me a sense of understanding of who I am and how I engage in my life. And it turns out I, I had better outcomes by doing absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. So that, that put it in my mind. I was like, okay, so perhaps when I was doing stuff, I was actually doing detrimental things. And now that I'm doing nothing, I'm getting better outcomes what would happen if I start doing beneficial things in the state of nothing? And this is a lot of where my mentality is now, right? And I think this coincides a lot with what you're talking about, finding your true self, which might not even be a self, you know? So how, yeah. how do you view going into business, for example? You have your Mogu magic bars, right? being an entrepreneur, being productive, doing stuff, right? How do you concept, what is your mentality? What is your, I'll just say state of being, maybe is a better way of saying it, mm -hmm. into being an entrepreneur and getting things done? Wow, what a cool intro to that question. I, um, 
the um what's the word the birth of magic mogu actually happened after a few months of my own almost identical experience where i had just left a job that i uh, felt suffocated by and had little to no money um but realized that i couldn't move forward in life unless what i was doing felt perfectly aligned with what I was passionate about. And I had no idea what that would look like. And so I did nothing for about three months. And I started that off with a, uh, I just decided I wasn't going to eat until I knew what um, I was actually interested in. And on, I think it was the third or the fourth day, I realized it was mushrooms. Wow. Um, mostly because of my experience with psychedelic mushrooms, but I, at that time, had also just begun um, experimenting with functional mushrooms as alternatives to stimulants and other supplements because I was uh, ultra-focused actually on flow state and a lifestyle oriented around flow state. And the first place that I went for optimization of my lifestyle was diet. Um, and I wanted to create ideal internal uh, physical conditions for flow state because something I've experienced a lot in life is burnout and I wanted to focus on the recovery aspect of flow state which in my mind was well it, it didn't seem that there was much that talked about keeping our bodies fueled with the neurotransmitter precursors and the right micronutrition and macronutrition state of inflammation and um, parasympathetic nervous system uh, defaults and so on and so forth and so um, a few months into this doing nothing and also kind of living in a fairly I think consistent flow state it was funny the thing that would trigger flow state most easily for me was opening my email <laughs> for whatever reason that's where I noticed it the most strong um, and then I had this running list of everything I'd put in a snack bar because I got so frustrated with how hard it was to get all of these different supplements and superfoods and micronutrients that I kept discovering would be so helpful for my uh, health and cognition and ability to um, more easily maintain flow and recover from the uh, sometimes expensive moments of really intense flow where uh, neurochemically we are ex producing in our inner pharmacology the analog chemical analogs to five different psychedelics um and hence you know our capacity for performance and euphoria sometimes even and, and the suppression of hunger and pain even um so during this time i was experimenting with this concept of radical uh radically following my moment to moment desires kind of how you touched on and it just naturally, it very organically led to me making bars because somebody asked and then just, I had $50 at the time and that's what I started with. And the first person that I made bars for never even ended up paying me, <laughs> but the momentum was generated and I, it, it's hard to describe. It's like when you're, if you've ever surfed, that feeling when the wave catches you and you connect to it you're in the zero. That's equilibrium. That is not zero because there's a complete absence of energy or force, but because you're in the center point of equilibrium. 
and therefore have access to infinite potential energy. And that can push you forward as long as you stay alive and awake and connected on it, which um, with flow state, one of the characteristics that is found in research to be important is a sense of self-efficacy um, in the face of a sense of great risk or challenge. And that turns us all the way on. And we, in a way, make a decision to engage in the face of risk, uncertainty, complexity, and so on, like a wave that you're surfing on. And so I've kind of let that philosophy of flow carry me forward. We're now three years later, and I've made a ton of mistakes. I have not been in flow and present with it the entire time. But um, I think because of some of my more radical decisions of I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to trust my creativity and this power of being able to enter into flow state to um, conform business to Tennyson instead of making Tennyson into a caricature of what he is told is needed for business. I will find a way to provide a, uh, a unique value for the niche that is a coherent reflection of the combination of my own experiences and needs and gifts and willingness to take risks in exploration into new types of products, um, new ways of doing business, spending the money and the time to craft something right the way. And this is the last thing I'll say about it. I think starting a company or being an, an entrepreneurism is an incredible gift in our modern society, quote unquote, where we don't have access to rituals of um, maturity the way, say, like you hear in Africa or uh, the Amazon that when a youth reaches a certain age, they'll be sent out and they have to go it alone for three days and have a vision quest or whatever and really expose themselves in total vulnerability with the absence of the tribe of safety or the cocoon they grew up in and show themselves experientially what risk and uncertainty and danger and all of these things truly are and show also those things that they can match it with their presence of creativity and certainty and ingenuity. And there is a, I'm convinced that that type of experience is as vital as the production of hormones we experience when we hit puberty for our development on a, um, I think even physical level, but absolutely the development of our consciousness, of our spirit, these more ephemeral aspects that I think are not, don't have to be considered to be separate things from our body. They're a part of our body, net body, that um, just we can't measure as easily as our skin and blood and and so forth. Wow, that's that was awesome. I I have put a lot of thought in entrepreneurship into the mind, into the self, into the body, and all of that. And um, I was actually just today I was with the kids at the pool. We were having fun, and a thought came in my mind, and it was about freedom. Right, I feel like. Uh, what you're describing too is like you you're not making Tennyson a caricature caric 
that's a hard word for me, I guess, <laughs> of, of the business, right? It's like one of those personas in the business where you're molding yourself to what makes a business function, but you're looking for molding the business to you so that the business functions. And I put a lot of thought in that because at the same time, I realized that there are certain laws that govern business success in mm -hmm. some ways, right? And and if I'm not uh, in the same vibration of those laws, then I don't necessarily get the outcomes I'm wanting. So I was looking at that exact question and saying, how do I feel free like I'm being myself while also participating in these laws that I, I don't always want to follow? You know, like uh, for, for example, like um, leadership's a certain law in business, right? Is yeah. whether you have clients or employees, like being a leader is something that as an entrepreneur, a business owner, if you want to grow your business to more and more people, you have to lean into leaning into this idea of leadership is really important. Another thing is marketing, right? Getting the word out and, and doing it consistently is the way <laughs> that people know about your product, right? Yeah, or, yeah. or sales, how well you sell the product is really important or how clear your messaging is. Like these are certain things that are laws of business that I've come to the terms that I'm like, okay, like it is important to see the ins and outs of the business, the incoming money and the outgoing money and keeping track of the finances and all the, you know, mm -hmm. all this stuff that's like the inglorious part of entrepreneurship. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I had this thought, it was how do I feel free while still having success in business? Hmm. Right. And I think right there, as I was asking that question, that gets to the crux of becoming someone who succeeds in business, right? If you, you answer that question, it makes it so easy to get the outcomes you want. What, what are your thoughts on that question? Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing to consider. So on one hand, I, um, Early on, I recognized that I would be learning through trial and error. And I think this goes back to this sense of honesty, or maybe I could call it authenticity, where a priority of mine, and it's, I think, matured over time, but initially was that I had to make sure that I wasn't producing things to make me happy, rather the way in which I produced them was an expression of myself where happiness was able to also be present. And for a long time, and even still, that meant that I would engage in business in ways that um, could be seen as irresponsible and or maybe immature. And on one level, it was because I was ignorant to that I needed to embody certain qualities like you're talking about. You named a lot of um, good. I like how you call those laws. I think that's a great way to frame it. But through the experience of contrast, I could truly mature through direct experience rather than indoctrination, I'll call it, because it's not that things that I'm taught are not true. But if I don't have a personal relationship with the truth of that thing through my own experience, it becomes, it never exits the realm of my mind. 
when somebody tells me to believe in something, I'm only holding that experience conceptually. And it is then vulnerable to my mind's capacity to distort that narrative to fit what I'm going to do anyway. And that's one side of it. The other side being I can model myself after that wisdom and, and learn um, through a less painful route that it is true. And I've done both. I think I've uh, erred toward the sides of, side of foolishness. And luckily, I knew that consistency was something I could depend on as a law. And as long as I didn't give up, and it sounds so cliche, but it's true, my presence with my company is ultimately the most important thing that it needs to progress. And so um, I find freedom in presence. I find freedom in exploration and authenticity and the permission that I give myself to make mistakes within, of course, reasonable boundaries. Um, so, you know, everything kind of comes with an asterisk, I suppose. I'll have to think about that question, man. That's really good. I, I, I'm glad you asked that. I want to know what your answer is, if you have more to say. Yeah, um, there's a couple things. One is falling in love with the outcome. And another is falling in love with the journey. And if you can do both, then I think it makes it a lot easier, right? Because like you said, one thing is giving yourself permission to make mistakes, I think is really important. I'm also a per person, just to give you context, when I married my wife, she's Mexican and her family is very good with their hands. They can build anything, right? And her dad has this circle saw. I didn't even know what, what, it, what it was called. I didn't never use the circle saw. I didn't know what it was. And, and he told me in Spanish what it was first before I knew it was a circus law. So <laughs> he, he draws this line on the board and he said, here, cut it. I'll teach you how to use it. And I cut it. And before actually, before I cut it, he said, line it up with this line, make sure it's on the outside of the line and hold it like this and cut it through, right? And to me, it goes in one ear and out the other. I don't pay attention. Like It's like, thank you for telling me that. But until I do it, I have zero context for what you're saying. Right. So mm -hmm. I got up and cut it all slanted and he's like, okay, like, <laughs> let's try this again. See this line, it goes across now line it up. And then that time I cut it through just fine. Right. Just mm -hmm. accurately. And I think it's similar kind of what you're saying, right. It's like going through that path of foolishness first, but allowing yourself that space to learn, yeah. which I do think is very important. Um, what I came to the conclusion in my mind as I was just thinking about it today, I don't know if my thoughts are fully formulated either, but I, I thought of this, I said, what if freedom was my results, right? And how I viewed getting my results, it gave me a high, right? It's like, as I go about marketing, sales, leadership, communication, problem solving, you might say, and, and, getting a product to market and having it fit well and be successful, can I have the journey be a high to myself where it's that flow, right? Mm -hmm. Where I, I am so invested at what I'm doing and it's full of love what I'm doing that it gives me that intense focus and flow all the time. And I think that 
that is when you feel free as a business person, right? It is, it's just a fun thing to do that you just are playing with and enjoying. And to me, the high state of existence is play. I actually think it's even higher than love. I think love is a really high state of existence, but even above that is play. And when, when you're playing, you're loving what you do, right? And, yeah. and you're just enjoying what you do. And play is the, if you're thinking of like the zero and one of work and play, right? It's, or the yin and yang, work and play are almost like a yin and yang, right? Because it's like, where does play end and work begin? it's a really tough question to answer, right? And for some people, you know, they say, well, work is when I'm doing something I don't enjoy doing, right? And play is when I'm doing something that I do enjoy doing. So why isn't business play is the question that I ask myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I look and I discover how getting results in business is play because to be honest, in other areas of life, it's not so consequential, I feel, to be exploratory, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas in business, it's like, I have a family of six, right? It's like, it's consequential to not do well, if that makes sense. It's like, mm -hmm. people need to eat, you know? Like that's, <laughs> I need to buy some magic mogu bars for the family, you know? Like, it's it's stuff like that where it's like, how do I... How do I make it play when it feels so consequential? Maybe you have some insights on that. I love that you bring that up. It has been like the last three days. I think I've kind of reached into it in a similar way that you described. First, I'll say one thing I have done to allow myself the freedom to do business, quote unquote, my way is to not have a family <laughs> and to um, hold myself back from the responsibilities or not responsibilities, but the aspects of life that require me to succeed um, consistently so that I could have more room to explore. And I think exploration and play are, are two sides of the, of the same coin. And so that's been a personal way of mine of allowing business to have some of it still in the realm of play to where I could take greater risks in some areas and still be okay in my um, priorities should it not pan out the other thing has been to um, we've been talking a lot about the mind and it's so important i think to develop a, a clear experience of what mind is and isn't when you're using it when you're not when it's useful when it isn't and what it does. And um, I don't know that any of those questions can ultimately really be answered, but I noticed that my mind, and in the sense of mind, I mean thoughts and conceptualization of my direct experience, I can modify my definition of things. So recently I've been, um, I've got a couple white label deals that I've done a first production run for and I've had to produce and package everything by hand for these first runs until we get momentum. And so it's a lot of repetitive manual labor. And um, I realized that I can enter flow state doing that. And if I just choose to 
let go of my fixation on the part of my mind that has been conditioned to define that activity as work. Because I recognize, so I used to play video games a lot. There are things I would do in video games that were way worse <laughs> if I were to look at the two activities objectively in how interesting they were and productive they were and engaged with an actual reality they were, the overstimulation of the screen and and that the reward I was getting was um, in, in my mind as well. I was accomplishing something in a computer game and then I was fabricating the story of reward in my mind Whereas with what I was doing here, it was so much more real and tangible and involved without that stimulation. And so as I um, am able to see clearly when my mind has kind of taken the driver's seat in defining what this moment is and what my relationship is to it, I can choose whether or not that um, activity of mind is coherent with my deeper desire, which is like you say, to experience love and play and freedom. Um, and so if I can create that or rather become aware of that distance that there is between my mental activity and reality and myself, I can let those things redistribute the weight of responsibility in a way that feels more balanced and in equilibrium so that the right things are serving the right things instead of dominating or or whatever else and so it always it almost always if not does always come back to just presence and then employing the mind as the servant of my presence there is something that i do now that i've it, you could call it a meditative practice, but if I ever feel that stress or anxiety around like business or performance or things like that, I actually breathe into my body and I get to, I remember feeling every limb in my body and every extremity there because I know if I'm in my body, I'm here, right? I'm actually present if I'm in my body, right? And then the next question I ask is now that I'm here, what am I to do, right? And as soon as I become present, then it becomes really easy for me to engage into the next thing. And um, there was a guest I had a couple episodes ago. He was talking about Mayans and their calendar, which is a really interesting concept. Yeah. And uh, he sent me a video and I watched the video and part of the video, the presenter talks about um, a model like a, a symbol they have used and they found in their archaeology and they know what it means too. And it's the circle and it's cut like an eight, it's kind of like a pizza, you know, like you have two vertical, a vertical and a horizontal and then two diagonal cuts running through the middle. And what it means is one horizontal line means time. So the horizontal line means time. And the vertical line means space, location, right? And then uh, the diagonal line coming up from the top left down through the bottom right is intention. And the diagonal line coming from the top right down to the bottom left is divine intention. And the place that you want to be is in the middle, hmm. right? So you want to be here now with, your int intention aligned with God's intention, 
And I thought that was like, to me, that's the secret sauce of spirituality and productivity and everything. Because here's the thing. If someone has, I've heard a lot of people say, I've discovered spirituality, but I notice their life isn't really well put together. And I say, you probably haven't discovered it. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny when you think about it, right? It's like totally. when, when you're truly present, which to me is a high form of spirituality is being truly present, truly connected to your intention and divine intention. And you move forward in that focus. How couldn't you not get the results you're after or better results that you hadn't considered? I think that maybe where people get mixed up is in how they identify what divine intention is though. Yeah. How do you identify that? I don't know. I was going to ask you. So this is the way I conceptualize it. An important question for me is who is God? And it, it can have a multiplicity of answers, right? It could be who is not God, right? Mm -hmm. Who is not, not God, right? <laughs> <laughs> who <laughs> who isn't not God, right? Like this are, <laughs> these are different ways that you can ask the question, right? Because I mean, if we just look at it scientifically, what other beings do we know of that we've observed in the universe that can observe and make critical thought? Are we not the only ones? So would that make us the God of the known universe? right? Being the only ones that have that thinking capability, the ability to choose and recalibrate. I mean, to think metaphysically, right, mm -hmm. is a huge distinguisher between us and animals, right? And so is there not, is there a higher intelligence than us is the next question, right? Then I look out and I say, if I am the creator of everything that's in front of me, because I am the highest intelligence, then that would mean that I've created all the universe and the laws and everything that runs into those laws, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at it and I say, wow, this is really majestic. Either I don't know myself very well, or there's a higher intelligence, right? And <laughs> if I'm being honest with myself in my emotional states, I should see a lot more hurricanes going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and tornadoes ripping through towns if I am the, the ultimate creator of things. So to me, I see a hypnotic rhythm. I see a an innate intelligence around me that might not necessarily be mine. So for me, I view uh, how everything happens as there probably is a higher mind and a higher intelligence that can observe me. And at the same time, I can observe it in some way, shape, or form. So for me, divine that divine intention what it comes down to, my true beliefs are this. When you get into higher states of self, right, or absence of self, you start to experience love at increased degrees. And you start to experience peace at increased degrees. And you start to experience play at increased degrees and freedom at increased degrees. So if that intelligence is God and it is a personage, then that is who he is right? Because that's what's emanating from him. And then his intention then would be for me to engage in that. And the way to engage is to tap into my own intuition, into my own desires and my own intentions. 
I do not believe that if someone's listening, you know, someone's listening, there are people listening to this that are LDS, right? And we hear a lot in the LDS church that uh, you need to find out God's will for you, right? And then do it, right? And it's almost in this sense of you don't really know what's good for you. So go to God and he'll tell you what to do. I don't think that's necessarily true at all. I think what it is, is you decide what you want to do, and then you become really present. If you're using prayer, meditation, whatever, then you're tapping into an infinite source of knowledge and intelligence that might not be present with you at all times in your awareness, right? At least not yeah. in your awareness, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get at least the next step. And it's not that you're saying, hey, give me intention. Tell me what to do. Like, tell me the dream I should have for my life. Tell me the plans I should make for myself. You're saying, this is my plan. This is my dream. This is my creation. Now, what's the next step? And for me, that's where I believe God comes in, in full force. He says, great, you're getting the idea. You're starting to understand <laughs> what it's all about. And, and I feel like people don't get answers to their prayers all the time because they're asking something of God that he's unwilling to do for you. Mm. And yeah. he's saying, I'm not your slave master overlord, right? I am yeah. your loving father. And you tell me what you want. And I will help you see the doors so that you can get it. And that, that is my own concept of my divine belief. And obviously I brought in the concept of God and father, because that is still my concept, right? Yeah. But yeah. How would you answer that for yourself? You remind me of something I've heard that I, I love so much, which is a, uh, that an egg, if broken from without results in death and if broken from within results in life. And I think that can be applied almost universally where, like you're saying, if God were to just give you the things from without, it would oppress your ability to expand and grow and in a way result in the death of your potential. But if you're tapping into that as from within and God is providing you with the, that support as you align with him in that sort of center then you're able to expand as an expression of alignment with that infinite aspect of reality. And it, and this is kind of where I see it, which is that as I align with qualities that I view as infinite, then that's what I can um, more, I can expand my capacity to embody or act as a conduit of well, well, you know, well, I, I'm also, I've got, we've got the same upbringing. So it, it's easy for me to say God, where God is that infinite beyondness that encapsulates ubiquitous qualities. I think of them as of reality, which is that reality is truth because there's always reality here. Um, and these, I think there might be a bit of a paradoxical way when you use language to describe this. I think reality is um, totally authentic in what it's being if even if something in reality is being deceptive unto itself it's being authentically deceptive um 
and so there's the, there's these different qualities that I view as things that are infinitely inclusive. Anything can happen within the realm of authenticity, of love, which I view as total allowance and space for everything to happen in um, without needing conditions by which it is to happen, which again is paradoxical because within the lack of conditions can exist conditions. And it's by that uh, dual nature that both are, the one allows for the other and the other creates an experience by which the uh, the one can be known of. Um, and so for me, it's if I'm totally authentic, honest, allowing, and yet, um, well, let's see, where do I go from here? <sighs> Yeah, this is, again, I don't, this is a difficult thing for me to speak about because I haven't really thought too much about it. Um, but I notice that when I embody those traits, I more often encounter synchronicity and good luck and fulfillment in the present. And I'm less plagued by my mind and my ability to learn and to gain wisdom um, in a flexible way where it doesn't necessarily become new dogma by which I might then constrict myself, there seems to be a, a dynamic sense of expansion and integration of things as I go about connecting with my, you know, these different ways I have of saying it, understanding of what that divine or infinite or, or godlike quality is that exists within and around us yeah that's it's it's a deep question you know it, it's really one that i think is you got to look within very deep to find the answer to and i think that's the point you know it's like if there's if god's going to be somewhere he's going to be deep within because that's where all of the answers funnel to you know what i mean and in order to get the answers of what is reality like you said it's truth right? The answers of truth that you're looking for is to go within yourself and find out who you are, what you want to do, what your intention is. And I believe that everything is actually very simple, very, very simple. I mean, we, both you and I have very complex language, right? Like we, we get into these thoughts and ideas and yeah. use language very complexly, but in reality, I think it's simple. And it's getting to a point where you say, this is what I want. And it's not necessarily what I need to do with sweat equity, but I can just say, hey, this is what I want. I'll put it out there, right? And I'm totally trusting in your power to help me make it happen, to bring it about. And, and not even make it happen is the wrong language. I would say to reveal it to me Yeah, is more what it is. I, I have some interesting ideas about manifestation manifestation would imply that it didn't exist already. And I disagree. I would say whatever you're trying to manifest already is in existence. It's just something that you are not seeing or observing, right? And mm -hmm. what I think that this whole point of revelation, right, is identical to what people talk about as manifestation. It's just revealing what's already there, yeah? And it's very oh, yeah. well named right? Cool. Revelation yeah. <laughs> rather than, um, I mean, inspiration is even well-named, which is like ins inspire is to breathe life into, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So that's even well named. But I like this concept of revelation because it's a revealing of what's already in existence that you have uh, been unaware of already, like you've been unaware of for all time. And now that when you put your focus on it, then God reveals it to you and says it's been here the whole time. And this is the way I feel about even business to this point is can I relax and trust? hundred percent and say, this is, this is me. This is what I want. And I believe in your power to help me have it revealed to me. Right. That's to me, that's that union of self and God that comes together and that brings actual power into the life for whatever outcome that I'm going for. And this is when, when I talk about zero or nothing, right. Doing nothing is you can't truly do nothing until you can surrender and surrender to the ultimate power, which has the power to do everything, which then is a paradox. Surrender is such an interesting thing for me because it, you can't fake it. You can't do surrender, right? It's a, it's the absence of an activity. And if there's a part of me that is still convinced that a certain type of activity is required to gain something when like what you're saying, maybe it is just surrender. And I think this is for me, why it's been so important to be what could be called naively authentic is that if I don't, if I'm not congruent in what I am doing, the parts of me that need to come up against the wall of basically disillusionment i don't know if there's another way for me to truly surrender without meeting true disappointment in the parts of myself that i unconsciously held as true of what i was supposed to do to achieve something and so with that revelation to myself that discovery of my unconscious attachments then surrender becomes a natural and effortless and sometimes almost, well, I'll say very relieving, but in certain moments, very euphoric <laughs> thing to have happen. And it uh, reinserts you back into, like you're saying, kind of that flow of the miraculous. Yeah. And I, my goal is to live that flow of miraculous at all times. I, I don't even know if it's necessarily possible or not, but it's something I'm going <laughs> to lean into and enjoy. So one thing I wanted to ask you as we get close to the end of this conversation is um, you do a lot with nutrition, right? You care a lot about your body. And I wanted you to reflect upon what you learned about the word of wisdom and how you, if you were going to alter some things about it and like update it to how you view (laughs) nutrition in the world, what were yeah. some things that you would say, well, you can throw that out or what, or you could plug in this? Oh, man, that's so interesting. So the first thing I would say is that I think the word of wisdom, when it was first said, was the perfect system of um, relationship with consumption, because it was taking into account what was going on at that time. And um, I think that things have changed. And we can take the perspective of wisdom rather than the result of wisdom of that moment and let that be our word of wisdom. 
where I can have that same divine um, perspective. And that's kind of how I see wisdom right now. It's more of an orientation of witnessing rather than what is witnessed. And those aphorisms are very wise, but can be misapplied and become naive or irrelevant. And so I think that's the real uh, core of the word of wisdom is that we can observe what is in our present circumstance. And it's very clear, <laughs> almost always totally clear what's right and wrong in terms for what our health most needs. And we may learn that, you know, those things can shift. So for myself, I, for a while thought that being vegan and uh, for a while, raw vegan was the right way to go. But what I learned was that I was following the, uh, the codified wisdom of other people. And it was definitely right for the guy that codified it. Um, I'll assume. Uh, and it wasn't right for me because I had a different situation. I had to leverage a massive network of infrastructure and expensive food and preparation. And I was extracting foods from all over the world in a way that now my perspective, it doesn't feel ecological for that to be the way it should be because it requires so much sacrifice from so many places and so many people and the land. Um, so <laughs> I actually think that it's, it's a, uh, it's the word of wisdom as I would define it for myself now. Thank you for coming on me with this little journey as I talk myself through it. it is, um, staying present with my body's responses to what I consume to actively update and learn from the feedback of that consumption and recognize what feels harmonious or not and being totally honest with myself about what that is. And of course, actively engaged in learning what is going into those different items of consumption. And I think it goes beyond food and uh, drugs or stimulants. And I think it includes information. Um, in the time of Joseph Smith, there wasn't the internet. And our mental diet is so exposed now to, you know, every, I don't need to, to go any further on that. Um, I think that's a huge part of it. And I'd also include our breath. Um, the way we breathe is so integral to our health. There's nothing that we can die from the malnourishment of faster. And there's also nothing that we can improve our health more quickly by changing the way we breathe if we're breathing through our noses, expanding the back of our ribs, going down into the bottom of our um, diaphragm and doing the five second in, five second out, I think it's a little bit different from that, but um, essentially slower breaths, the impact it can have on our health, the measurable impact, the visceral palpable impact is extraordinary. And we have thousands of years of traditions and experimentation and hundreds, if not of years, and then recent decades of very thorough research to show that, um, you know, of course, breath is life <laughs> and it is so important to our health. So uh, that's a, a pretty vague, but I, I feel like I touched on the areas that are important to me and the context through which it's important to me. That's how I would kind of 
redefine um, the word of wisdom in that sense for myself now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is kind of funny to put people in a box of what they should or should not consume, you know. And I and I like how you have distilled it down to what gives me the greatest health, you know, being present in my body. And that's a lot of times the that's the same approach I believe I've taken with it as well. I mean, I look at some things, I'm like, well, yeah, why would I impair my judgment by eating these kind of things? And uh, I would say something that stands out to me that's very interesting is Joseph Smith mentions in that revelation that there's there will be designs and conspiracies of men to manipulate food. And I think that's most evident evident oh. today, right? Like of, of all those things, one thing I do know about the word of wisdom is that it talks about single ingredients, mm. right? It doesn't talk about, um, I mean, there really wasn't much packaged food anyway, back then, no matter what way you spin it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you do have a packaged food, I'll say that, <laughs> but, but they're yeah. comprised of single ecological ingredients, right? Yeah. Mostly Whereas, yeah where you look at um, other things that are being packaged and put into food. And it's like, what is that chemical? I don't know what that is, you know? And mm -hmm. for us in, in my own house, we look at food as, you know, uh, how does it affect my body? Right. And I've noticed that those packaged foods with all the additives and all that kind of stuff really sucks the energy out of me. Yeah. Um, I put on weight when I eat those, the, and then for a while, I was vegan also. My wife and I were both vegan. At some point, raw vegan as well. And we were just eating mostly raw vegan stuff. And I gained like a bunch of weight. I was a lot chubbier. And I said, this is not working. Like, how come I'm eating vegan but getting fat, you know? And I actually moved to a meat diet, like mostly meat. I probably ate 40% of my diet was meat. And I lost a ton of weight. Right. And I felt healthier and I felt better. And it says in the word of wisdom, eat meat sparingly, right? In times of winter. And uh, you know, it's winter right now. So I I did buy half a cow. So at least I have that, right? <laughs> so so there's there's some things where I look at I look at the word of wisdom and I'm like, I probably follow more strictly than not, you know, in in some things, but it's because how I feel, because it's my choice and it's because of how I view my body. And I no longer look at it as something I need to reference to make sure I'm eating right. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's more like, I'll look at it and be like, oh yeah, well, I, I do kind of eat like that, you know, like in some of those aspects. So I like your thoughts on that. I think very interesting about how you view the word of wisdom and, and the diet of the mind, you know, which I think is, monumentally important in this day and age. So I wanted to ask you here at the end, do you have any words of advice to people that are wanting to have a happy, fulfilling life and exploring spirituality and are wanting to get the most enjoyment and enthusiasm out of life? What would you say? Wow. Whoa, a lot of pressure there. <laughs> Let's see. Um. I think that if I could emphasize any more, <laughs> more than I already have, and encourage anyone listening of that you can trust yourself enough 
right now. There's no more preparation needed to let go of the endless rehearsal of mental activity that we fixate upon in preparation for life. You have rehearsed enough and it doesn't ever end anyway. And you can come to the present moment and learn and reteach your body to remain engaged or in its prioritization of attention in what you taste, touch, smell, hear, and see, especially in the moments when you feel afraid or anxious or inept or anything. That is where you will find in ways that I cannot describe <laughs> whatever it is that you're seeking for in each moment and in general. And I think that it could be called a process and there will be perhaps parts of you that don't yet trust that. And I, the only thing that I really feel like I know for sure is that that is where I do find truth and trust unconditionally and the other things we've talked about. So presence is the real deal and to really come into a personal relationship with it and understanding of what that is outside of what anybody else says. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what I'd say. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm always happy to have someone very intelligent who's done a lot of thinking about this, come <laughs> on and talk about it. How, how can people follow you um, on social media or get in contact with you if they want to ask more? Yeah. Um, I love to be contacted with questions. I uh, am a recovering people pleaser. So I still get a lot of <laughs> pleasure from that. Um, and I love, I love helping where I can. So Facebook and Instagram are where I inhabit socially online. Uh, my Facebook account is Tennyson Taggart. Instagram is Tennyson.miles.per.hour. Um, and then I've also got the magic Mogu Instagram and Facebook page. I am uh yeah, ever available to be contacted there. Um, or you can email me. It's Tennyson at magicmogumogu.com. Excellent. And how does someone put an order in for some some? Oh, yeah, magicmogu.com. We've got the website, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so there's uh, the two flavors of the bar, which I pretty boldly declare is the healthiest and most medicinal and functional snack bar that exists and best tasting, honestly. <laughs> And then I also have pure mushroom powder blends. My main objective with these things is to help people get into a flow state and to help them retrain their bodies to find equilibrium to where they return to a default of, um, honestly, in my own experience, a very subtle but palpable euphoria of present parasympathetic, active, awake, alert, relaxation. Mm, so excellent. I'm, of course... Uh, you know, a snack isn't going to do that for you, but I, I believe that these have the capacity to help people who are looking to change their lifestyle. Wonderful. Thank you, Tennyson for today. And, um, thank you everyone for listening. Like always subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends. I think that today had a really good message about being present and what spirituality is and what the nature of the soul is. 
as as closely as we could get to it in this conversation, <laughs> you know, which we'll probably we'll be certain that we're uncertain about it. Is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it sounds about right. <laughs> so go ahead and like this podcast, give it a five star review, and share it with your friends. We'll talk next week. Ken loves to get feedback from his audience. Send him a private message or write a review so that he can discuss topics that are most relevant to your spiritual experience. Thank you for listening today and remember to join next week.